Welcome to the Turfgrass Hotline, brought to you by our partners at DryJack, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in a single pass. And our partners at Intelligro, manufacturers of Civitas, a fungicide that's so much more. Steve McDonald of Turfgrass Disease Solutions. Welcome to the Turfgrass Hotline. I'm Frank Rossi here, ready to talk with you about the year so far. Steve, it seems like, especially down in your neck of the woods, Philly into the mid-Atlantic, uh, you guys got the short end of the stick on moisture. You're, you're getting way, way too much, and now the heat is coming. How has the season gone so far? Well, Frank, it's been another challenging year in the mid-Atlantic as far as early moisture stress followed by heat stress. Uh, one, one of the biggest things I'm seeing in my travels right now is that the pockets of moisture are definitely isolated and very severe in spots. Uh, for example, in Philadelphia, we're quite dry. We haven't had a significant rainfall, many golf courses, in at least seven to ten days. And our evapotranspiration rates starting last Saturday, Sunday, were in excess of a quarter inch per day. Mm. Whereas there's golf courses in Westchester County that I spoke to over the weekend that got in excess of an inch of rain. Mm -hmm. And even in that isolated county in New York, it was very isolated where some guys got less than a quarter, some guys got an inch and a half. So Mm. it seems the golf courses that are wet are staying wet, whereas the golf courses that are drier are drier. Bottom line is neither of these are ideal for growing cool seeds and grasses this time of year. So it's been challenging. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've been really struck by, and I wonder if you've noticed it, that it was so wet for so long that this little bit of dry weather seems to be showing up drought stress much quicker than I thought it was going to. Are you noticing that the drought stress you're seeing now looks a little more intense than it would normally look? Certainly. Essentially, we've been growing some cool season plants that have not had any drought right. stress since July of 2018. Right. And as soon as they have some, you know, I call it surface wilt or surface drying, where the top quarter inch or half inch of the soil dries right. out, and then it's subjected to cart traffic right. or mower traffic, uh, you see the environmental stress very quickly in a matter of hours and, and, and days. And unfortunately, that, that type of stress can take, you know, a few weeks to really recover and uh, can be very visible. And so the other side of that is those wet golf courses. One of the things that I noticed this year, Steve, before the dry weather came was the predominant red thread problem, the amount of foliar pathogens we've been seeing and the intensity that we're seeing at the incidence and severity of these foliar pathogens with all this moisture seems really severe. And even Rich Buckley talked a couple of weeks ago about getting a gray leaf spot sample from a soccer field that's watering regularly. So where are we at disease wise? Are we seeing the same differences? The dry courses maybe are a little bit better and the wet courses are a little bit worse? Yes. For example, we saw some dollar spot the past three to four weeks, which typically we get in July and, and dollar spot's not a huge issue. Due to the moisture and the relative humidity, I saw some killer dollar spot that basically took tall fescue roughs down to the ground and pitted dollar spot in fairways rapidly. Uh, and ironically, even in point south of here, we saw more dollar spot on hybrid Bermuda grasses than we normally see during May and early June, just due to the fact of sheer moisture as well as you know lack of sunlight. Uh, it's interesting when you see these these grasses that are supposed to be resistant to diseases uh, for many reasons. But dollar spot on Bermuda grass fairways is something you really don't discuss much, but we definitely saw quite a bit of that in, in May and early June this year. So definitely foliar diseases due to moisture was a, a common observation. And so that doesn't make anybody happy looking forward to the gray leaf spot potential that could be on the rise. And the, the we worry a little bit in the north about the storms that are coming up from the south 
uh, maybe bringing that problem with it. How scared are you about Gray Leaf Spot this year after Bruce Clark lost half his lawn to Gray Leaf Spot last year? <laughs> well, Frank, I'll, I'll be honest. We have three large fungicide screens out right now. We're actually at my house in Chester County, PA, where we seeded a non-GLS resistant cultivar. So the cheap, basically the cheapest perennial ryegrass we could find in uh, about June 20th. And, uh, you know, we do everything wrong. We put about a pound of N on it. We spray, you know, herbicide. If he's a trion over top of seed at high rates, we do everything wrong. And uh, I looked at the trials yesterday, and we have about 35% gray leaf spot in our ryegrass untreated checks. Now, nice. one of the biggest differences I've seen this year in our trials versus last year is that the fungicides are actually working very well. Mm-hmm. Last year, we had almost complete failure from a variety of fungicide treatments. Huh. So this year, it seems to date that the gray leaf spot may be more manageable, whether it's the lack of inoculum, uh, or we have decent dry down in between our rainfall events, whereas last year was just wet, wet, wet. Right. But yeah, we, we definitely have confirmed grainy spot. Uh, it's not pythium. We, we're we're right. spraying fungicides to control pythium in the trials. So, Steve, let me ask you a little bit. I'm interested to hear what you said about that the gray leaf spot programs failed last year. I got the sense, at least, you know, I, I look a lot more, you know, New York and a little bit north of there, right? So I'm looking in the northern end where we don't get a lot of gray leaf spot. And why I think it was bad for us is that nobody's used to seeing it. They misdiagnosed it. They didn't get a spray down until after it came. I'm assuming your trials go out at the same time every year. So when you say they failed, it means the preventative treatment failed, not that you got in there late and the curative was impossible. That's correct, Frank. So we we basically, as soon as the ryegrass pops, before it gets infection, we put the preventative fungicides down on it. So Mm. uh, it wasn't a failure from the fact that we went into these trials curatively. It was more of a function of either resistance, where the fungicide was not working well due to previous exposure, maybe not our site, maybe other sites coming in, mm. or the pressure of the inoculum load is so high that even if you get you know 90% control of fungus, you're still going to lose 20 or 30 or 40% ryegrass in those trials. Well, let's move underground now, because it seems like it's uh, we had an early take-all patch uh, season, I heard some samples talked about, and now we're into summer patch season, especially with the dry weather. How are the root pathogens uh, faring for you? And and I would imagine, just like you said earlier, maybe the dry places are getting summer patch and the wet places are getting pythium root rot? Yes, that's definitely a good trend. Uh, I, I would say a month ago, we had a, a peak of summer patch on both Kentucky bluegrass and roughs and compacted soils and green surrounds, as well as poannua, airways, teas, and greens. Once again, it's very eye-opening that the wetter seasons we have, I'm almost convinced that we increase our compaction levels in a lot of soil, especially native soils. As better soils compact quicker, we know that summer patch is much more severe in compacted soils. So you, know, you walk onto a Kentucky bluegrass green surround and poanium green, and all the summer patch the past month has been on the compacted side, the walk-on, walk-off side. So very interesting to see that you know maybe when we have these wetter periods, it's long-term best to be more aggressive with core aerification or even solitining. But yeah, pythium root dysfunction on areas has definitely been more common in poorly drained soils, uh, soils that are inundated by you know surface sheet flow water that mm-hmm. stay wet you know much longer than you realize, uh, or areas are just getting heavy amounts of rainfall combined with the heat stress. I'm really curious, Steve. You know, when they get behind the eight ball, either because the dollar spot's taking them down, the root pathogens are getting hot, maybe some even pythium is breaking through on the surface if they're not using other products other than phosphites. I'm always curious what you tell guys at this time of the year that you're working with and staring at dead grass, knowing that 
you know, <laughs> it's probably good to spray something to prevent it from getting worse. Of course, that's what we're going to do. That's sort of due diligence. But I can't imagine you're going to think you're going to get a lot of recovery at this time of year. Is that where we're at now? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I said to a superintendent on Sunday morning and yesterday, I said, uh, I think the damage is done. And he looked at me like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and what I meant by is I, I think that when you have a pathogen, whether it's a pythium in the roots or summer patch or take-all patch, the pathogen does its damage pretty quickly. And it, it's almost to a point where the damage is done and you need to either protect the plants that aren't infected with the fungicide or push them you know, culturally with some fertilizer or light applications of water, making sure that they don't go under drought stress. And it can be a big challenge to communicate that, you know, removal of traffic or increase in the mowing height or you know, maybe you mow an area only once a week instead of three times a week just to give it some more growth or recovery. So generally speaking, when we see these pathogens come in and there's stress on the roots from high soil temperatures or saturated systems, pathogen acts quickly, the damage is done, and then your focus then should be on recovery. Uh, if seed needs to be dropped, are the conditions, you know, favorable for seed germination? And can you get seed into the soil without doing more damage? It's really the big question that uh, we face this time of year when damage comes in. So let's move to insects. So annual bluegrass weevil obviously takes a lot of your time early on. The story last year that I recall, I'm wondering if we're tracking for the same story this year, but my conversation with Ben McGraw earlier was, boy, a lot of guys were getting damaged from second and third generations, and we don't have a lot of research on how to control those populations. Are we already beginning to see that story replay itself, Steve? In isolated locations, yes. And I, and I kind of chuckle because I'm not convinced in every year that we see true generations. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. I have no data on this. I'm not a trained entomologist. But we see golf courses that have high levels of success controlling large populations of weevils early in the year. For example, you find 15 to 20 adults per square foot. All of April, all of May, they make some adult targeting treatments and some larvae targeting treatments. And then all of a sudden, they, they have great control through Memorial Day in early June. And you wonder, if it's generational, if we control that first generation, why then, if you go back July 15th, August 1st, you can find 130 larvae per square foot. So it's just the fact that that generation is not exposed to insecticides or you only get 90% of them, but you think you have 100%. Uh, but for whatever reason there is, these summer generations right now, in particular this year, uh, are all over the place. So if you have an active population of annual bluegrass weevils, it's not uncommon today to find adults. They're true adults, they're mature, they're very dark in color. You can find some early instar larvae, you can find some late instar larvae, you can find some pupae. So uh, it becomes really challenging uh, when you get into these scenarios, especially, you know, in bank grass, where we historically would tolerate more feeding. You're not expecting damage. I was at a golf course last week that had never seen a weevil on property. Fairways were wilting unexpectedly. I cut in. I found a bunch of weevil larvae. And it's just, you know, what do you do? There's, there's no easy solution for that. So uh, we're definitely seeing a very asynchronous population. And once again this year, I would say this year they've been asynchronous much early than normal. We started seeing some, some lingering larvae uh, in June after the peak uh, larvae had, had kind of passed in late May. So uh, this year, I'm not sure if it was the, the up and down roller coaster or the or the more transitional spring we had this year, uh, or even you know cloudy weather in the spring that kept them kind of hidden in, in overwintering sites mm-hmm. or in roughs. But really, a challenge right now as far as targeting. Uh, my general rule of thumb is tell a superintendent or try to assess it with them is where's your peak stage at? You know, do you have a lot of late instar larvae? Do you have a lot of adults? What are you seeing the most of? 
and what you have in your budget and your arsenal to go after and what's the best time to use that. All right. Well, listen, let's probe that a little bit because I have a couple of questions. First, like big kudos to you on those nice scouting videos that you've done over the years for flushing and, and things like that. I, I think, you know, when you ask a superintendent what peak stage they're at, it presumes that they're doing the scouting. Right. I'm wondering if you couldn't just take a minute. I mean, are we getting better at this? I, I asked uh, Ben McGraw about this. Uh, this pest is a big problem if you're not diligent with scouting. You're going to run out of chemical options fast if you spray pyrethroids five or six times a year to the same population. You can bet that those insecticides are not going to keep working if you use them in that way. And so can I get your sense of are we getting better at this uh, from a scouting perspective? Yes. <laughs> I would say superintendents who have dealt with the pest and also are trying to look at the budget I mean, look at the numbers. I mean, let's face it, spraying over $200 per acre in insecticides on 30 acres of a golf course, whether it's fairways, tees, and greens, uh, is not an easy thing to swallow for a lot of golf courses. So uh, I think when it comes down to the economics of it, not only environmental stuff, but economics, more superintendents are looking very carefully at their ABW pressure, as well as can they tolerate a little bit of seeding and you know, where they're at. Right. That's to target some adults. Or, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm going to try this new larval side. Maybe we'll spot spray it. Maybe we'll only spray our worst six acres, for example. Regarding those compounds that you would recommend, that chemical regime that you'd recommend, I'm imagining to a certain extent a lot of your early apps are going to be pyrethroid-based or... You know, now with Dursban under fire, that was pretty much the only other option. What are you recommending to your guys, particularly to guys that are dealing with bent grass problems? I have seen a, a group of superintendents that went on a larvae-only program mm -hmm. for two years. And I also saw in their golf courses a huge increase in ant activity as well as chinch bug damage on bent grass. Mm. And if you begin to think about some of these newer molecules, phenosid, you know, the anthemic diamides mm -hmm. and doxycarb, right? They have a somewhat broad range of insect pest activity, but they do not have activity on all the insect pests from a wholesale like a pyrethroid does. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to say that managing bent grass or polyannual golf courses in the northeastern mid-Atlantic should be done entirely without pyrethroids. What I'm getting at is I think pyrethroids have a time and a place mm -hmm. if you use them as wisely as possible. And if that's, you know, wait until June when chinch bugs are out on areas or, or ants are feeding, uh, or making mounds on greens, and you have some adult activity from ABW, maybe that's the best time to singly use a pyrethroid once, maybe twice per year, never back-to-back, -back, and making sure that you're optimizing your spectrum of control with them. Perfect. So let's wrap it up now with the weed conversation. Last year was certainly a banner year for crabgrass, Steve, and I'm sure it was a banner year for you down there. Uh, I would imagine you're also dealing with goosegrass and green kylinga and a fair amount of weeds. And I know you spend a lot of time in the reduced mode areas or the what I call the sort of naturalized areas of golf courses. How's the weed problem been this year? Oh, uh, it's through the roof. <laughs> yeah, for many reasons, whether it's this weed germination pressure, herbicide breakdown, or flat out it was so wet this spring, maybe you didn't get your spring mowing done in these areas, which we know spring mowing can actually reduce the density of the fine fescue as well as reduce some weed pressure. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's been a big challenge. These high grass areas, as I call them, or infrequently mown areas, 
you know, I have some crabgrass here. It's about six inches high and a fine fescue. I've been sprayed three times with the herbicide already, and the crabgrass is still just sitting there. So, you know, what's <laughs> interesting, it's, yeah. as we wrap up, Steve, it's like the constant theme is that chemicals are sort of breaking down a little bit. We're, we're having either resistance issues with new strains of gray leaf spot, or we're having uh, issues with pyrethroid resistance. Like we certainly see it in our neck of the woods. And then we have herbicides that might be breaking down as well and not working. You know, that sort of simple reliance on those materials is, is going to have to give way to some cultural changes like fixing compaction for root problems and maybe getting a fan to deal with leaf wetness or thinking about insects differently. Do you see that starting to happen, that people are a lot more thoughtful about the way they're managing the pest because the pressure is so ridiculously high? Yeah, Frank, just like anything in life, there's chronic and there's acute issues, right? So the acute issue is spraying, you know, a chemical on something. But the chronic issue could be the grass species, the growing environment, the mowing regime. Uh, when I write reports for golf courses when I visit them, I tend to differentiate between my short-term suggestions and long-term suggestions, i.e. acute issues, chronic issues. And I would encourage every golf course, you know, whether you're in perfect shape or you're having some struggles this year, to always reflect on those chronic issues. Are you growing the right grass or trees, airflow, you know, compaction, drainage, are they issues? And it takes more money to fix the chronic issues. But you begin to look at the budget for chemicals, and that's also quite large in a lot of circumstances as well. So definitely look in the big picture, or what I call the chronic issues, is definitely the best way long term. Steve McDonald, Turfgrass Disease Solutions, based outside of the Philly area in Pennsylvania. Steve, thanks so much for taking the time to join me on the Turfgrass Hotline. I hope the season ends up really well for you. Thanks, Frank. You too. Thanks for having me on. Happy to do it. Take care now. our partners at Dryject, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in a single pass, and Intelligro, manufacturers of Civitas, a fungicide that's so much more. I'm Frank Rossi. Thanks for joining us.